Good morning. There's a little bit. Let's try it again. Good morning. Yeah. I tell you what, if you ever sign up to preach, ask them to play that song before you come up here. Because when you come up and you're, you realize and remember that all God's promises are yes and amen, mm, gives me a little extra to deliver this message. I'm so happy I'm up here with all of you. Welcome to February. I think it's Groundhog Day today. Is that true? Anybody know what happened? Okay. So, prob- so six more weeks of winter. Probably. So we're in February, and so we're right after January. We talk about New Year's resolutions. We talk about goals. By the time we hit February, 80% of people's goals and resolutions have failed, or people quit on them. And by the time we hit December, there'll be 8% of our population that start with those goals who have stuck with it, and they've made it. So 92% of us, I've been there, uh, threw in the towel, but 80% of us throw in the towel by February. I love goals, I love resolutions, and today we're talking about visions, kind of like goals, except with a higher purpose. We need to be reminded that We were not created by accident. We were created by the providence and the goodness of God. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he made us. He formed us, he gave us our gifts, our passions, and our desires. And those desires include those things to do things eternal, to make a difference, to leave a legacy that lasts a lifetime. That's not about us. My grandma would always say, whatever's done for Christ will last. Today I believe that God's going to stir us, and he's going to inspire us, he's going to motivate us to grab onto that purpose that we were born for. And we're concluding a four-part series about vision, and we get to look at an incredible story. It's about an ordinary man named Nehemiah who did something amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would stir us to believe that we can do exceedingly and abundantly more. Lord, give us the faith to step out, stir us to make a difference in the lives of others in order to glorify your name. We come before you with great expectations that we will all hear from your heart, be stirred by your spirit, and believe that you want to do more in us. We ask by the power of your spirit that you would equip us, your children, to do what you have called us to do, that you would speak through me and that I would fade away and the words that come out of my mouth would be yours. Amen. I got to set my timer, otherwise we could be here a while. So we're in our fourth week. We're talking about Nehemiah in case you're just joining us, or maybe you've been here here intermittently. I'm going to catch us up. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy. He wasn't a pastor or a preacher. He wasn't uh, a craftsman. He wasn't a king, or he wasn't a warrior. He was a cupbearer. 
to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. And he heard about the plight of his people, and it broke his heart. He sat down and he wept. And this is where he found his vision, this divine burden that sat on It was about Jerusalem. It was about a thousand miles away. He prays for an opportunity, and God grants him one in front of the king Artaxerxes, and he says, King, let me go back. Because he knows somebody has to do this, and he says, Why not me? And often when we find that vision, we're thinking, Somebody has to do something about this. We talked about that in week one. The difference between what reality is and what we know it should be. And Nehemiah sees what the reality of Jerusalem is. It's broken. It's defeated. And he knows what it should be. God's people following him in all his glory. And it broke him. And that's where his vision was. And he said, King Artaxerxes, I want to go back and rebuild this wall. And there was no reason the king should have let him do it. But leading up to that ask, Nehemiah prayed, he fasted, and he wept for four months. King Artaxerxes lets him do it. He shows up to Jerusalem. He takes his time walking around and he realizes this is really bad. He gathers the Jews and he says, we're in a bad situation. God sent me here. Let the good work begin. And Nehemiah starts to find success. The walls go up. They're about halfway up. And um, we have examples. Pastor Jeremy talked about this last week. Whenever we start to have success, whenever we're led by the Holy Spirit to do something for somebody else, when we find that vision and we start to make our work, and we know this is something that's going to be done for eternity, whenever our work goes done, down, the opposition is going to come up. And we have examples all through the Bible. Adam and Eve had the serpent. Moses had Pharaoh. David had Goliath. And when you fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus had Herod, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and the people, and the Romans. Batman had Joker. And that's not from the Bible, but the theme's the same. Nehemiah, he had Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem. Doesn't Geshem just sound like a bad guy? Geshem. Maybe because it reminds me of Gollum. Is that that guy's name from Lord of the Rings? Yeah, Geshem. So Nehemiah had his opposition. The work was going down, the walls were going up, and the opposition was showing up. And these three people, Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, they're leaders from the surrounding area, and they're rallying their people. And they're saying things like, <laughs> your walls will never stand. A fox could knock them over. And then the walls kept going up. So they upped their threats and they said, okay, we're going to come in and we're going to kill you guys in the middle of the night. And still, Nehemiah led these people to build the walls. The work was going down. Opposition was going up. What's crazy, while Nehemiah is doing this, is he's inspiring other ordinary people to do this work. He's inspiring goldsmith, merchants, 
and perfume makers. I had to read that one a couple of times. So I just thought, how do you inspire a perfume maker to build a wall? You, know, you walk in the shop and you're like, that myrrh smells pretty good. You must have added some allspice to that. Uh, and they were rebuilding the gates. And I wish we had time to read all the details of Nehemiah. It's 12 chapters. We don't have near the time. They started with the gates, and the people were excited, and they're rebuilding the sheep gate, and the fish gate, and the valley gate, and the horse gate, the water gate, and the dung gate. And I'm not making these up. Those are real names for the gates. It's from the Bible. Every time I read the Bible, I'll find something that's interesting. And if I'm one of those people working with Nehemiah, I'm like, I got dibs on the valley gate. I'm doing anything I can to stay away from the dung gate. You can just imagine what happens there. But it could be that you find yourself in a spot right now where you are doing some good work. You've, you've made a choice. You've made a decision. Maybe um, you decided it's been a long time since I've gone to church. I'm going to go back to church. And that first time you go back to church, you had the biggest fight in your whole relationship and you cussed up and down that sedan all the way to worship on God's house. Maybe you decide I'm getting out of debt. And as soon as you declare that and you tell your friends, car breaks down, $700. It could be that you have a great idea, that you found your vision and you tell your best friend. And they say, well, that's, that's stupid. That's dumb. Why are you going to do that? It could be that you're uh, like me and you are preparing for your sermon the next day and you think, this is terrible. I got to call Jeremy and tell him I can't even do it. And then I remembered, last week, Pastor Jeremy talked about this. As soon as the work goes down, as soon as I want to do something eternal, that opposition's going to show up. And Nehemiah gives us a great example of how to handle this. We need to not be surprised when we face opposition. Nehemiah continues on with his vision. Really, week three, Pastor Jeremy talked about that. We find that opposition. And when we move on to our last week today, what we realize is if the enemy can't destroy us, he's going to be happy to distract us. So Tobiah and Sambalot and Geshem, they're, they're these enemies that Nehemiah has. And they have not destroyed Nehemiah, and they've not destroyed the Jews that are rallying and they're building these gates and they're building the walls. Yeah, they're rising Jerusalem back up from the ashes. We're going to pick up in chapter 6 in Nehemiah and we're going to see how exactly they try to distract him. Now when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together in the plain of Ono. On my first sermon note, you're probably going to want to jot this down. But never meet with your enemies at a place called Ono. <laughs> Nehemiah doesn't. But here they're trying to distract them. And I would argue... That perhaps today we live in the day and age where it's the easiest to be distracted in the history of man. 
it's so easy to be great at things that don't matter, to become passionate about things that won't last. Uh, What's funny is when I was preparing for this message, I knew I was going to talk about shutting the door on distractions. And as soon as I determined that, uh, my phone started buzzing. I started thinking, man, I should really check ESPN. And the distractions started coming in like you wouldn't believe. And I realized all the distractions that I have around me and that are available to me. And I wondered, am I passionate about things that really don't matter? How important is it that I move all the way through uh, whatever show is on Netflix so that I can talk about it with people at work? I don't know. But I thought you guys would also maybe be wondering the same thing. So uh, the first two times I preached, I did this thing where I asked you guys to kind of participate to talk to your elbow partners. And then I promised... My wife, Lindsay, that one, I wouldn't mention her when I was up here, and two, we wouldn't do it again. But I just can't pass up on this opportunity. (laughs) So I'm going to say go, and when I say go, I want you to spend about 30 seconds talking to an elbow partner. You don't have to get up and move if nobody's around you, but you can. And I just want you to brainstorm, what are the things that distract me the most? Right? I have a a vision. I, I know I was put here. I know it was created in my mom's innermost womb, that God knew exactly what he was doing. What takes me away from that? What are those distractions? Okay, 45 seconds. So we can think a little bit, and then we can both share, and it'll pull us back. Ready? Go. Ten seconds. Hey, awesome. That's great participation. I always get a little nervous when I ask you guys to do that, but I have great wait time, so I know I can always fall back on that. It's easy to be passionate about things that don't matter, to be distracted often. So I'm not sure the things that you talked about I kind of shared some of mine already, um, and just the idea of naming some of them has helped this last week for me to realize I'm being distracted right now. I don't have to watch the next four episodes that just got posted on Prime of whatever show is awesome. Uh, Nehemiah was asked four times to go meet his enemies in the plane of Ono, oh and so I learned two things. One, don't go to Ono. Oh but two, he uses a very strategic method 
to stay the course in his vision. It's really simple. But simple doesn't always mean easy. He says, no. No. Nehemiah, come meet with us. Let's have coffee. No. Nehemiah, let's talk about our differing philosophies. Let's see if we can come together on this. No. Nehemiah, I have some great questions for you. No. No. No is what Nehemiah says. And I loved it because I realized even Jesus said no. This was more difficult for me to reconcile. I picture uh, my Savior coming down to earth, healing everybody, always being available. But that wasn't the case. That's not how it happened. Jesus would heal people. He'd preach. Then he'd stop. And he would leave. And he'd go find a mountain or a quiet place. And he would pray to his Father so that he could fulfill his Father's vision for him on earth. As soon as I made that connection with no, it started to give me permission. I'm a pleaser. I want to make everybody happy. It's, it's hard for me to say no. And when opportunities arise, like come to Ono, I want to say yes. So that's something I'm working on. And Nehemiah was great at it. He knew what his vision was and he was focused. He said no. Even Jesus says no. Looking at how Jesus said no, what I realized was we can't be available to everyone all the time. And if we are, then eventually we have nothing to give. We're all burnt out on everything we're involved in. And then nobody wins. You might be surprised I'm not great at saying no if you realize that I have four kids. And my youngest, he's two and a half. And let me tell you something. Isaac is well-versed in the language of no. I should be great at it. Isaac, we're going to, let's go get dressed and go to church. No. Isaac, finish your cereal. No. Isaac, you want a sucker? No. He loves suckers. Why would he say no to me? He says no to everything. I should be great at it. So my my homework this next week is pay attention to Isaac. Maybe I'll learn. I'll get better at saying that. Um, I like Dave Ramsey. he's He's a finance guy. But one thing he says is to be unclear is to be unkind. And I tie that in here because something I'm prone to do is to say maybe. When I know I'm going to say no. So when I, when I preach, when I, when I teach up here, it always kind of circles back and it's to me. So hopefully you guys are able to take things from this as well. That's another thing I'm working on. I'm not going to say maybe when I mean no. I'm going to find my vision and then I have to find those opportunities don't relate to my vision going forward, and I'm going to say no. Challenge accepted to me. Uh, elbow partner, this could be a little more difficult. Elbow partner, what are you going to say no to? Because I, th- I think that you probably know deep down. If you're like me, or a little bit like me, the no will st- stick in my tummy until I actually say it. And then I kind of say free. I feel free, I mean. But it sticks there. It's like, oh, i got to just tell this person no, and what if they don't like me? And oh, I don't know if I miss out on this fantastic investment opportunity. Um, 
what if my kids who are getting older miss out on an athletic opportunity that's going to affect them way down the road? I'm going to have to talk to the Downies about how they navigated all that. Um, but those are all things that also might be popping up with you as well. Elbow partner, 45 seconds. What do you have to say no to? Or what do you think you're going to say no to? Or something you've said no to recently, they're like, yeah, you know what, actually, that was a good choice. 45 seconds, go. Ten seconds. Oh, we have to say no sometimes. Tobiah, Sambalot, Geshem, and I kind of glossed over this, uh, but they realized Nehemiah was days away from completing the wall. This thing that hadn't been done for decades. The walls have been destroyed for decades, and the Jews had tried to build them, and they hadn't been able to do it. Nehemiah finds his vision, rides in. They're weeks into this process. The walls are going up. The walls are up, and they're done. The gates are up, and they're done, even the dung gate. And the doors are left. So Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, they're ready to start throwing their Hail Marys. They want to distract because destroying didn't work. So how does Nehemiah respond? He says, no. No, no. And then he says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down for you? Nehemiah, this is in chapter 6 and in chapter 2, he had gathered the Jews and he had said, we're going to do this. He rallied them and he said, let the good work begin. And one thing that I love, I'm just going to assume that it was on purpose, is right now, he's almost done and he's realized like, yeah, this was a good work. But better than that, this is a great work. Because why, why would I stop my great work and come down? I'm not going to do it. No. He's going to be relentless with his vision. Nehemiah's distractions. We kind of covered the first one. This opportunity to go meet with his enemies. Often when we're inside our vision and we're casting our vision we're working through it, we're acting, maybe we're just praying and planning. We're going to have these opportunities, just like Nehemiah did. I mean, we might think, I can go talk to these people who used to be my enemy. Like, maybe they'll want to normalize relationships with us now here in Israel and make peace. Uh, maybe I could spread, tell them about God. But Nehemiah knew that these opportunities were just distractions. Another Distraction that the opposition will come at us with that we see from Nehemiah is rumors. Rumors. Rumor has it 
Every time I get to this part in the story, I think of, of that song. Uh, Adele sings it, and Adele is also my mom's name. I don't know if that correlates to anything or <laughs> adds to the message, but there's a rumor. So Tobiah, Sambalot, Geshem, the bad guys, they send notes to Nehemiah four times, come meet with us in Ono, come meet with us in Ono. Nehemiah, I'm doing a great work. Why would I come down? So the fifth time, they send a letter, but this time they make it an open letter. And I read that, and it didn't mean anything to me, so I researched that. What it means is, Usually it's sealed with the wax and the signet so you know who it's coming from. But this time they didn't seal it and that means that everybody that's kind of around the letter as it's being passed through to Nehemiah can read it. And since they're humans, they probably would because it's so easy to metaphorically sit around the water cooler and talk about what's happening in the office and did you hear and oh my goodness about so and so. It's easy to do it inside a church. Maybe a family and whatever kind of organization that you're existing in, those rumors are going to be there. And if you've been the subject of a rumor, you know it feels, ugh, not good. Okay? Sambalot, for the fifth time, he sent his servant to me, this is Nehemiah talking, with an open letter in his hand. And it was, and it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and you are setting up prophets to proclaim you the king. So Sambalot's like, there's a rumor. <laughs> Everyone's heard it, even Geshem, which I think is hilarious because everyone knows he's already his enemy. Like, I kind of heard this thing, and then I asked Geshem, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, this is going down. So they spread this rumor that Nehemiah, you want to be king. You're even setting up prophets around the surrounding area to say it. And that matters because it was meant to invoke fear in Nehemiah. Because if the king of Persia, who's overseeing this area, Artaxerxes, hears that Nehemiah is going to prop himself up as the king and become a, a, a threat, the Persian army would come out and destroy Jerusalem again. And that's what his enemies wanted. Or... They wanted Nehemiah to be distracted by this, by the fear that it was supposed to invoke. For that, rumor has it. Nehemiah responds. So we, we saw how it responded to the distractions. No, no, I'm doing a great work. I'm not coming down. How does he respond to the rumor? He says, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hand will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. In his response, we see two things. One, his response to the enemy. You're making this up, and I know it. He doesn't waste a lot of breath on it. He says, I know you want our hands to drop which is figurative and literal, okay, as Nehemiah and his servants and the Jews are working with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other one because of these military threats. And then he prays. And he says, God, strengthen my hands, strengthen our hands. Another beautiful thing about the book of Nehemiah, we see him pray at the beginning, in the middle, and throughout. And we have another one right here. The very thing that the enemy wanted to weaken, to drop, he says, Lord, strengthen. Strengthen my hands. 
Nehemiah succeeds. We, we mentioned that Nehemiah is having all this success. Walls are going up, the walls are built. The gates are going up, the gates are built. Now he's got to build these doors. He's almost done. He is surrounded by enemies, led by uh, the fantastic trio of Sambalot, Geshem, and Tobiah. And he's having success. He succeeds with not being destroyed. He's succeeding with not being distracted. It also made me think about how does Nehemiah handle this success? Because when you have a vision and then you start to succeed, it's really easy at that time to become self-sufficient. Like, I remember in the beginning, boy, I, I had to pray a lot, and I didn't have the strength to start my vision, but now I got this. I'm doing it. I'm like, I don't need you much anymore, God. I got this. And Nehemiah does the opposite. Few things distort our perspective of what we need and how we seek out help like success. Often it leads to self-sufficiency. And Nehemiah deals with this distraction of the entitled spirit of that success. Right after the rumor, and he responds and he says, you're just making it up out of your own minds. And he prays, strengthen our hands. A guy who for all intents and purposes we can consider up to this point to be Nehemiah's friend, um, he says, his name's Shemaiah, and this is chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, this section. He says, Nehemiah, meet with me in the temple. There is a bounty on your head. I know these people, they've been threatening it, but they're going to follow through this time. You've heard of Sambalot, Tobiah. Typically in the temple, only the priests could go in, and it was very specific about when they could go in and why they could go in. In a unique situation, because of uh, Nehemiah's position as kind of the governor right now of this town, this region, and him leading this vision, he could have gone into the temple for safekeeping so that he wouldn't be assassinated. So Shemaiah says, come, let's do this. Nehemiah prays, and what he realizes is this guy is not speaking on behalf of the Lord. And if I go into that temple to save myself while everyone else that I've motivated, that I've said, join me in this vision, build these walls, restore Jerusalem, is left out there to fight and maybe die while I'm inside the temple safe, it's not right. It's going to discredit me. And he realizes, and we do find out in Nehemiah, that Shemaiah started working with the enemies. And he was trying to use that entitlement of success. Like, you're the man, Nehemiah. You're crushing it. You're out here. You're leading us. We can't lose you. You can't die. You've got to come in here. You've got to save yourself. Nehemiah realizes, if I do that, I'm selling out everybody else. And this opportunity to grab my success and get added benefits or bonuses doesn't work and it won't fit. So how does Nehemiah respond to this, to him having success? He says, he says, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understand and saw that God had not sent 
Shemaya. Few things distort our perspective like success. Nehemiah embraced. Nehemiah embraced his vision. And through this process of Nehemiah finding his vision, praying, planning, acting, facing opposition, facing distractions, one thing we learn is that once God decides something needs to be done, it's never a matter of if, typically it's a matter of who. And who will step forward, who will embrace this vision, and who's going to move ahead by faith, because it's going to take faith and it's going to be scary. I remember last spring break, uh, we were somewhere warm, and my third, Viv, I wanted her to jump in the pool with me. I was like, Viv, come jump in the pool. She kind of get to the edge and scared, afraid. Oh, I'm not sure if he's going to do it. And I'm saying, look at your older brother and sister. They're jumping in. Viv, come jump to me. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And I finally kind of convinced her that, yes, you can do this. She said, Dad, are you going to catch me? Yes, of course I am. And she jumped. Did I catch you, Viv? Yes. And I caught her. When she jumped, she was still very much afraid. But her confidence in me was stronger than her fear of jumping. And she honored me with this act of courage. There was never really a question of could I catch her or would I catch her. The issue was whether her confidence in my ability to catch her was going to supersede her fear. And in that moment when she decided, yes, I'm going to have faith in my daddy and jump, her confidence, her faith superseded her fear. In that moment, I experienced uh, what our Heavenly Father feels when we step out and we act on faith. In spite of our surroundings, in spite of the opposition that we have, when we step out and we act out on, on faith, it's never really a matter of can God do this thing or will he do this thing? It's just a matter of will our faith supersede our fear? One thing that Andy Stanley said, he's a pastor in Georgia, and as a side note, he wrote a book called Visioneering, and it follows Nehemiah. I was just preparing for these messages. I read Visioneering. It's a great book, um, and a partner's great when you're reading with Nehemiah. He said, the higher the wall, the greater the honor, or the deeper the pool, the higher the honor. Great visions are like high walls. Once God decides something needs to be done, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of who. Tobiah, Sanballat, Geshem, they want to destroy Nehemiah. And how does Nehemiah respond? He says, I'm doing a great work. And he refused to be destroyed by his opposition. He refused to be distracted by his opposition. He says, I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. There's something that God created me to do. He put me in the exact place at the right time to fulfill this vision. 
Nehemiah sends the message, I'm doing a great work. I cannot be bothered by your opinions. I'm not here to win a popularity contest. I'm here to fulfill my, ever, my everlasting purpose, the thing that's going to last for eternity. I'm not sure who this is going to speak to today. Wherever you are in your journey, We need to remember that the God who equipped you, who was there for you in the beginning, is going to be there for you in the setbacks, in the middle, and he's going to be there when you are victorious, just like he was for Nehemiah. How this story ends, it's really, it's miraculous, because in 52 days, Nehemiah takes the walls, he leads a group of people, they're built up, gates are done, doors are done, something that hadn't been done in decades and decades with thousands of Jews trying to do it. Nehemiah grabs a vision. The whole time, he's praying. And the whole time, he's giving glory back to God. And when he's finished, he says to the Jewish people, our surrounding communities know this was done because God had a hand in it. And why I love this story is because it's a miracle, but not because there was bricks raining down from the sky that the wall built themselves. A sea didn't part. But it's a story of an, ex, of an ordinary man partnering with God saying, give me an opportunity to do something about what's breaking my heart. Come alongside me, Dad. Help me. And as he journeys through his vision, he continues to do that. When he, when he encounters opposition and distractions, he says, I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. So this next week, when you are doing your great work, whatever it is, you're trying to love somebody at work or at youth group or at school, oh, they're hard to love. But you know what? You're not going to come down. Or you have toddlers at home and they're like drunken squirrels with diapers and they're all over you all the time. You know what? Do your great work. Don't come down. You're paying off your debt slow dollar by slow dollar. Someone says, let's go buy a $5 latte. Do your great work. Don't come down. Find your vision. Be like Nehemiah. He's an ordinary guy. And he seeks out his dad. And at the end, 52 days, a miracle happens because he asked God to partner with him. He stepped out in faith. He said, are you going to catch me, daddy? And he did. The wall was built in 52 days. It's done. The surrounding people, these people who are putting up this opposition, are now the ones who are afraid. They're the ones saying, we're going to kill you, we're going to defeat you, your walls are terrible. Now they're the ones trembling in fear. So the challenge to me, to you, as we move through this week and weeks to come, is to do our great work. To stay up on that ladder. To not come down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, stir the gifts inside us that you've given us to do even more in this world. I pray that you would speak to us, show us where you want us to serve. Let our hearts break for something that breaks your heart. May we follow the divine burdens that you put in our hearts. And we can take a step of faith even when we don't understand. Help us to embrace the great work that you put in front of us. Help us treat that great work as a divine assignment and let the good work begin. 
And Heavenly Father, as we prepare our offerings, I ask that you would be with the staff at Cornerstone when they get these, these monies, that they would go to places that would fulfill the vision of your church. We pray these things in your name. Amen.